Good morning. Today we're coming to the end of Jesus' teachings in the court of the Gentiles, in the temple, in Jerusalem, in the last week of his life. He has dominated the Jewish religious scene and occupied the temple court for four days now. And he's going to close with a scathing final indictment of the Jewish religious leaders and the unjust system they've created by perverting what God has intended as a way to provide care for the vulnerable. Then he makes an observation about generous sacrificial giving as he watches people putting their tithes and offerings into the temple treasury. There are lessons to be learned here, warnings to be heeded, and blessings to be had from Jesus' words recorded by the first century historian Mark in Mark 12, 38 through 44. Turn with me now if you have a Bible and let's dive into the text and into the story. Beginning in verse 38, Mark records this. Just Jesus taught, he turns to the crowds and he says this, Watch out for the teachers of the law. The teachers of the law are called scribes. Some of them are Pharisees, but they're literally Jewish religious lawyers. You see, in the first century Jewish uh, system, the, the religious system was combined with the legal system and the civil law system. Even under Roman rule, they were given a lot of autonomy. And so they're lawyers that have, that know the word of God, that know the books of the law and apply the law in ways that we would describe as like a civil court or civil lawyers. Anyway, they like, Jesus said, to walk around in their flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the local synagogues and the places of honor at your parties or your banquets. Then he says in verse 40 about them, in fact, they devour widows' houses. More on that in just a minute. And for a show, make lengthy prayers. And he says these men are going to be severely punished. Now, next thing that happens, after Jesus finishes his teaching about the scribes and the Pharisees as an indictment of them, he goes to sit and watch people giving money to the 13 places you can give money to in the temple treasury at that day and time in the temple. And he sits down opposite the place in verse 41 where their offerings were put. And he watches the crowds putting their money into the temple treasury. And a lot of rich people are coming in and throwing in a large amount of money. He's not saying anything bad necessarily about that, but he's contrasting that to a poor widow in verse 42 who comes and puts in two small copper coins worth only a few cents, actually about a 64th of a day's wage is what each of these coins was worth. And he calls his disciples to him and he says this, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more money into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on. And that ends Jesus' teaching in the temple court the last week of his life. Comments and thoughts on the text. First of all, let me be humorous for a minute. Since I have a legal background, I guess it's okay to tell a lawyer joke. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of... Uh, of a Shakespearean play. Some of you are familiar with the line. I just couldn't pass this up this morning. It's Henry VI. Remember what the villain says about the lawyers? Uh, 
he says this about the lawyers. Shakespeare had him say this. The first thing we do, he said, we kill all the lawyers. Jesus seems to be taking this attitude. You're going to see more in just a minute about these particular lawyers, at least, the scribes. Again, most of them were Pharisees as well. Jewish religious lawyers who were tasked with a number of things under the Jewish religious system, which, again, even under Roman rule, was more than a religious system. It had civil or governmental features to it as well. One of the things the scribes did was to help administer people's estates, the transfer of wealth. Somewhere in that process, they were able to convince apparently some widows to deed over their homes, literally to the temple treasury or to them. I don't know exactly how it happened. The historians are not real sure how they did it, but they did it. They had perverted the system of justice and made it systemically abusive toward widows and the poor, and they were misusing their power. They were also in charge of debtor-creditor relations, and maybe they were taking widows' homes who had been pledged as an asset to secure a debt, and maybe they couldn't pay and they were taking their homes from them. We're not real clear, but it's clear that what they were doing by the tone and by the words of Jesus was incredibly wrong. Some of these scribes would end up with the homes themselves. What we might call today a form of, a bunch of big words, religious, quasi-governmental systemic injustice that was robbing the most vulnerable and benefiting those in power. Mark records here that Jesus passionately attacks the scribes and the Pharisees for their love of attention, their vanity, their abuse of power, and their love of money. But in Matthew 23, 13 through 36, Matthew goes even further. Mark has a tendency to condense things. He's an action guy. So he just kind of gives us the essence of Jesus' teaching. But Mark goes into detail. He records Jesus saying to the scribes and Pharisees on this occasion, seven woes are curses that would come upon them. And he ends up in verse 33 calling them snakes and vipers and condemning them to hell. The closest modern day situation that I can think of, and I'm going to grant you it's not really that close because, again, we don't have this unified system of religion and civil law, would be maybe a religious charlatan living off of other older widows' donations of their Social Security checks or their retirement money. Sound familiar? Given to their ministry in exchange for promised blessings and then turning around and living an incredibly indulgent and lavish lifestyle off the contributions coming in from these older retired people, some of whom are widows. By the way, Jesus never says it's wrong to have power and money. However, he indicts those who abuse that power that they have and don't use their resources for good and who spend most or all of their money on themselves not being generous with it. There's a great deal of danger that comes with having power and wealth. And the Bible makes it clear. It brings with it a great deal of responsibility. Because Jesus clearly says that we, not just the scribes and the Pharisees, but you and I will be accountable for how we steward or use our influence, our power, and our resources, including money. 
Here, religious power is being used to manipulate and steal resources from the poor and the powerless. And Jesus, like all the prophets before him, promises severe judgment to the religious leaders who are doing this. Note, too, that Jesus contrasts poor widows and the Jewish religious establishment in the first teaching about the scribes. And then he turns around and he contrasts wealthy givers, although he's not condemning them necessarily for their behavior. They're just giving money. And poor widows, again, though, widows appear twice in these two teachings, in the second teaching about the gifts to the temple treasury. Let me explain what was going on with the giving. There were 13 receptacles uh, that kind of designated giving. Some of them were related to what's called free will offerings that would be given actually back to the poor. Some of them were given to the temple treasury for designated things. But anyway, there were 13 of these receptacles. There would have been a big crowd there in Passover week, all trying to make donations at the same time. Don't miss this too. There's an underlying truth here in addition to Jesus applauding generous sacrificial giving. It's this, God is watching. Not just in the first century, sitting on a stool over to the side, watching people who give money. God is always watching. And he sees what we did. And he's even what we're thinking when we're doing it. And even we think he's not looking. Note, too, that the amount of the offering here is not judged by how much was given, but how much was left over for the giver to use for themselves. Jesus is not condemning the wealthy givers here again. They're giving in a way that's very normal in that day and time. Some may have given with a good attitude. Some may have given for show. He's just simply noting the faith and the sacrifice of the widow and commending it. Giving of anything, by the way, not just money, to God's church or his ministries with the proper motive, but the rich or the poor is considered by God an act of worship. Matthew 10, 42 says this. Jesus says that even the gift of a cup of cold water will not be forgotten by him. Matthew 25, 31 through 46 in the story of the sheep and the goat, it's a story I hope you're familiar with. It's a scary story about Judgment Day. And Jesus is separating people into two groups, sheep and goats. The goats are going to a very bad place, and they're a little upset. The sheep are going to a wonderful place, and they don't even think they deserve it. But anyway, Jesus is going to reward those who gave of their resources to care for his followers, of their time, or their talents, their treasures, and their influence. And he makes no distinction, if you recall, whether you were wealthy or you were poor, if you were a giver, that's all that mattered. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, Paul tells Timothy to tell his church this, and I'm telling you this on the authority of Jesus' teachings. Command those who are rich in this present world. By the way, that's a lot of us listening to this. Are include, I'm including myself in this. We're wealthy Americans by the world's standards. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, Paul says, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment or for our use. And then he says this, command them, command you and I 
to do good, to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they and we can lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. He's talking about eternal life so that they may take hold, not just in the future, but right now of the life that is truly life, a generous, sacrificial, giving lifestyle. This teaching about money and giving is the last teaching of Jesus in the temple in the last week of his life. I'm going to hit the pause button right now. We'll come back to the Bible passage and with a really cool video and a story that illustrates it, what Jesus was trying to communicate to us before we do that, I want to take this opportunity to share a few things with you about New Heights finances right now. Because of COVID, we haven't had an opportunity to do that this fall. We normally do it in September. We weren't meeting in September. So I'm going to take a few minutes of our time and go over our finances just for a few minutes. Our budget year actually starts July 1. So it started about five months ago and it runs through next June 30th of next year. Our budget is broken down by categories and the staff salaries, uh, if you're looking at the chart on the screen, attributed to each appropriate category are folded into that category. Our total annual budget is $3.2 million and includes all of our, uh, our facilities, our rent, uh, uh, all of our staff salaries, all of our activities, budgets, and all the things we do with money, including uh, what we use to subsidize our global budget. As you can see by the numbers right now, after five months, we're about 107,000 behind in our giving, due primarily to the major disruption caused by the coronavirus pandemic. And let me say right off the bat, we appreciate all of you that give anything to New Heights Church, and we're going to try to use your gifts wisely. God promises to bless and provide for those of you that give generously to his kingdom causes most especially to his church. We depend on your giving to do the things that we do uh, to try to expand his kingdom and love people in tangible ways. It's an expression of his love for all people. If you have any questions about the budget, you can contact me and I'll do my best to answer your questions. I know that you're watching this online. We actually have a handout's going to be used in the in-person service. We'll be glad to email you a, a copy of that handout if you'd like that has these numbers on it so, so you can ask questions if you'd like to of me. If you're not tithing or giving sacrificially to your church, I encourage you to pray at least about doing that. It should be something that every true Jesus follower does, in my opinion, according to Scripture. Rather than trying to tell you right now how we spend money in each category, which would take hours that we don't have. I have a story for you. Just one example of one family that's been blessed incredibly by your giving already this year. And there are lots of stories like this, but this is one. There are many sacrifices that we can make to invest in God's kingdom. There are many ways to give generously and sacrificially other than just putting money into the temple treasury are giving money to your local church, which are important. But Jesus made it clear that it was important to give money to his church and his kingdom causes, but he also validated sacrifices of time and talent 
and influence as well. If you'll recall the story of the Good Samaritan recorded in Luke 10, 25 through 37, I'll just summarize. Remember the hero of the story is a Samaritan who takes the time, takes the energy, interrupts his busy schedule for nearly 24 hours maybe, and his resources and uses money, and he prioritizes the needs of another person, actually a crime victim he finds beaten up on the side of the road over his own individual needs and his agenda. All those were sacrifices made by the Samaritan, the hero of the story, to help this crime victim, and Jesus is applauding him. Many of you have given money, sacrificially, some of you, to New Heights Church in 2020, both to the general fund and to the COVID relief fund, and let me applaud you right now. We've tried to use those resources you've given us wisely. Now there's a story we're going to hear about a family that came to Fayetteville a few months ago into the COVID crisis, and they're going to let you know, or I'm going to let you know, that your gifts help pay their rent for several months and some of their living expenses and provided them transportation until they could get established. Then we're going to look at in the video, some of the sacrifices they made that got them into the predicament of being refugees of sorts in Fayetteville, Arkansas in the summer of 2020. What you're going to see in the video, I'll give you a little background even before we get to the video, is a family sharing a lot of their life story and what they've gone through in the past few years. I first met Thomas and Jamie Fawn and their children in Aurora, Colorado a few years ago. They were members of Brian Bailey's home group. Thomas came to the United States from Liberia in 2000 as an international student some 20 years ago. His family in Liberia were leaders of a village there. He eventually got a college degree from a college in Denver, Colorado, with the intention of going back to Liberia to do community development work and to love people tangibly in Jesus' name in a big way with his whole life. He and Jamie met through their work in Denver, and eventually they got married. They and their children, their three children, invested heavily into Liberia for several years while they were living in America, trying to help the impoverished people of Thomas's home district through education, sports programs, and business, traveling back and forth to Liberia numerous times during those years. But due to the corruption of the government, in the culture, a lot of their money and their assets they invested were stolen or wasted. Eventually, though, in 2017, they sold their home in Denver, and in 2018, they moved to Liberia with the intention of being on the ground to oversee their ministry there. They bought and were remodeling a home in a Liberian village, Thomas's village, Thomas even ran for political office, knowing that he was facing an uphill battle at every turn because of the corruption, and he lost. But they believed God was calling them to Liberia, and they were literally all in. The results, in many ways, were incredibly disappointing. But still today, you're going to hear, they still have a ministry there that's helping over 120 young people using a platform of soccer and scholarships. The pandemic the corruption, and other problems finally forced them to return to America, arriving in Fayetteville in May of this year, having exhausted literally all of their resources. 
Several of their former Colorado community group members had moved back to Northwest Arkansas and were now attending New Heights. Keith and Jen Rudder and their family, Pam Garcia and their children, and Heath and Rachel Gordon. That's what caused them to move here. They had relational connections here. Thomas called me when he got in town. And they eventually got moved into a light bearer's apartment with some help. And we embraced them and started trying to help them. Now, they both have jobs with Walmart. And Aaliyah, their daughter, attends Arkansas Arts Academy in Rogers. And Levi and Micah are homeschooled. So here's some video clips of them telling a little bit of the rest of their story. So I'm originally from Liberia. I came here in 2000 as an international student. My great-grandfather started the village. So in our culture, when he died, my grandfather took over as the owner of the village. When my grandfather died, my dad took over. So I'm the first boy. The first boy is always the one that takes over the inheritance. So my dad passed away in 2013. I went there when he was sick and he told me, I'm not sure if I'm going to survive the sickness or this illness. So get ready because you have a huge responsibility. The village is gonna be turned over to you. But I want you to go back to the village and meet the elders, meet your uncles and ask them the piece of land that we gave the missionaries in 1976. I want you to go and request for that land. The missionaries wanted to build a school. They wanted to do development on the land. But they left because of the civil war and they have no plan of coming back. So the work that they started, you are going to finish that work. So since it was opportune to go to where the missionaries came from, it would be a responsibility to finish the work that they did not finish. So we want to do agriculture on the land, we want to build a school, we want to build a clinic. We want to create opportunities for, for the people in the village to improve their lives. When I first met Jamie, I told her about my plan to go back home. So I'm here to get an education, but I'm going back home. I'm not going to stay here. I will be a U.S. citizen, but I will still have to go. When we talk about it, she said, fine, I, I'm fine with it. So we decided in 2017 to go. And we sold our home in Denver. We ship our cars, and then we move. We built a home there in Liberia, and we started a youth program that is going right now. It's a big, one of the largest soccer programs in the community. We work with youth, underprivileged youth. So we're not only teaching them soccer when I was there, we also taught them about how to be good citizens in the community. Character development. And drugs and alcohol is a big problem in Liberia. And we 
taught them the dangers of drugs. So the program has grown and we got more than a hundred and close to 120 players. And we got staff on the ground that we, we compensate who are there to take care of the kids, to coach them and mentor them. We were there for 18 months and then COVID came and we ended up coming back to Fayetteville. But back, it's not really back. Yeah. Because we've never been here before. It's like, we came back to the U.S. Yes, yeah. came back to the U.S. We feel that God has brought us here for a purpose. And I think that purpose is to equip us to be more prepared to go back to Liberia. The 18 months that we spent in Liberia were very um, intense in so many ways, but especially spiritually, um, I thought I was prepared to take on um, the spiritual battles that would come, but uh, no, <laughs> they were really powerful. I dealt with severe loneliness and depression to the point where I just, I wanted to die. Um, it was, it was awful, but God met me in that dark place and brought me out. The Psalm that I keep going back to is Psalm 40, where it says, you know, he's brought me out of that miry pit and set my feet upon that rock. And um, yeah, we were in a miry pit in Liberia. And I remember just telling Tom, I'm like, God has got to give us a way forward. We just could not understand what God was trying to do. Um, I, we were down to our last $2,000 in the bank account. And I remember telling God, God, you have got to show us a way forward because $2,000 is not enough to get us back to the U.S. And it's enough to sustain us here for a month and a half. So you need to show us a way forward. And we prayed heavily about that. And I fasted and prayed that he would show us that way forward. Um, because I felt, you know, we were sacrificing we were, we were doing everything that God had asked us to do. He pretty much asked us to give up our cushy life in the U.S. and go live in this strange land <laughs> with these strange people. And we were trying to be obedient, but we weren't receiving the blessing, or I perceived that we weren't receiving the blessing. Now I see it differently. The blessing was knowing that God is our solid rock. That was the blessing. It wasn't the blessing of finances. It wasn't the blessing of um, <laughs> prosperity. It was the blessing of knowing that God always provides. And there were times, and Thomas is so merciful. So he would come to me and say, so-and-so really needs rice. And I would look in our pantry and we wouldn't have much rice. And I would be like, okay, Tom, you know, but this is all we have. 
He goes, but it's more than what they have. Let's give them the rice. Okay. I would just trust him because I know he was trusting God to provide. And we never went out of food, ever. We would get close. (laughs) It would get scary. God always provided for us. Faith in God, being totally dependent in God is the key. If you depend on your own strength and your own understanding, you're not going to do anything. You got to be, you got to surrender to that. Jesus made it very clear through his teachings and a variety of stories that he told in the three years that he taught in first century Palestine that he deeply appreciates and takes note of sacrifices made by individuals on he and his father's behalf, especially sacrifices that bless other people in his name. Thomas and Janie and their children made some really big sacrifices. And 120 kids and their family living in poverty are still being blessed because of those sacrifices. Then some of you gave sacrificially. You entrusted us with your money. And we used those resources that you gave to turn around and bless them when they needed help as well. Folks, that's how God's economy is designed to work. Our daddy, he's a giver. And he calls all of his children to give sacrificially in faith. And he promises to use our offerings of time, talent, and money to bless others. And he blesses us as well because of our gifts, both in eternity and here and now because of our generosity on his behalf. I don't know exactly what sacrificial giving looks like in your life, but as Jesus said, To another lawyer, lawyers are all over the story today, after he told him the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember what he told that lawyer? He said, you go and you find a way to do likewise. So that's the words I leave with you this morning. You go and do likewise. Let me pray for us and then we'll move on. Father God, thank you for your words Thank you for your stories. Thank you for these eternal truths from Scripture. I pray you'd burn them into our hearts and our souls and our minds, and they'd manifest themselves in us being generous givers of our time, talent, possessions, and influence, both through your kingdom and to bless those around us. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.